As the text was read, we will spend some time in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Uh, The sermon title uh, that the denomination has chosen is Pray uh, for Our Needs. But I want to give it a subtitle, and the subtitle is uh, Do Like This. Uh, Do Like This. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was reflecting on um, what seems to be very sporadic behavior from my daughter. Because what I noticed is uh, when she is in public, she's very polite, uh, she's very docile, uh, she's quiet. Uh, But when she's at home, she's all over the place. She's like a little Tasmanian angel. I won't say devil. She's like Tasmanian angel. And it was the same way with my teenage daughter. I don't know where she is. She's in the building somewhere. But it was the same way. She was very polite. Yes, sir. No, sir. Uh, Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. When she was in public. But when she was at home, especially as they get older, you know, you start to get those eye rolls. And you just and and, and so I remember uh, talking to her one day. I'm like, you know, uh, I don't, I don't understand uh, why it is that you're so amazing. I, I, I keep getting reports from teachers and other adults about how mannerable you are and how wonderful of a kid you are, but you, it, it, it just doesn't seem to translate to the house. And her response was, "Would you rather me act a fool in public? At least I know how to act when I'm outside of the house." And I was quiet for a little while because. To some degree, yes. Or I think as parents, you know, you, we've probably all been given that speech or we all give that speech that, hey, when you leave this house, you are a reflection of this family. You, you, you carry my name. People know that you're my kid. And so when you're outside of the house and you act like you don't have any sense, it's a reflection on me. So that was part of me that was thankful uh, that at least she got it half right, because when we shared that, it was not an invitation to act a fool in the house, right? Uh, but it made me ask myself this question. What is it that we really value? What, what is the centerpiece of our value? Do we, do we really value the public displays more than the private. And I have to ask myself sometimes, you know, I think that that might be the case, particularly as we live in a world uh, where more and more of our lives are on display. Um, I think the gift and the curse of things like social media and uh, having cameras on our phones means that we record every single aspect of our lives And now between Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and Pinterest and all of the different sites, we also share every aspect of our life. And have you ever had that moment where like, you know, you you see somebody post a picture and they probably didn't think too too much before they took the picture and you see things in the background like, oh, you know what? probably wanted to cover that up. There's, you know, personal items hanging on the drawer or, you know, empty cans or like, oh, they probably, you know, they need to wash dishes. The bedroom's a little messy. Like, oh, what is that dirt on? Like, you, you see all of these things that you probably shouldn't see. But we are enamored uh, with sharing our lives and sharing things with the public. And I believe that that's the result of all of us having a desire to be adored Uh, to be recognized, to be seen, and to be acknowledged. But here's the challenge, brothers and sisters. 
As we get into this text today, I believe that uh, Jesus Christ is calling us into a very different approach to life. Because I would like to say uh, that our sharing or oversharing is limited to our uh, personal acts. But you also notice that oftentimes when you see uh, community service projects being done or people taking mission trips, that before they've even gotten their relationship good, the first thing that they do is they pull out the camera, they take the picture, and then they post it. Hey, look where I'm at. Look what I'm doing. Look who I'm helping. Because ultimately, uh, there is some, uh, some boost to our reputations when people think that we're good people, right? And people assume that we're good people when they see us doing good things. Are you following me so far? And so we often find ourselves uh, sharing and oversharing, hey, I gave this, I donated this, I support this. Hey, we're feeding hungry here, and we're cleaning up this park here, and we're sweeping up this street here, and hey, we're doing all of these great things. And as we are amassing uh, the accolades of the world around us, I wonder if God is really pleased. Because we found ourselves in a situation where we are inundated with practicing our holiness in front of folks as opposed to living it out privately. One of the things that you see in this text uh, between Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 7 is what is typically called the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus Christ um, is teaching this Sermon on the Mount, what you see is him beginning to give instructions about what it looks like to have our hearts and our minds and our lives transformed by relationship with Jesus Christ. That when we are in relationship with Jesus Christ, there should be a tangible change that happens in our hearts. Uh, It should affect how we live, how we think, how we walk, how we talk. And ultimately, uh, because of that transformation uh, that happens as a personal decision in our heart, there begins to be this kind of outward living out of that faith. But what Jesus is doing in this particular section is saying, listen, uh, there are things about your faith life that will drive you into the public arena, but be careful not to let the accolades that you get when you are in public uh, uh, change the motivation behind why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, Because ultimately, when you give and when you serve, it should be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's inside of you uh, that is causing you to be so moved by the needs of the world that you feel compelled to act. Uh, uh, But ultimately, as you are out um, doing the things that God has called you to do, um, and it's inevitable that you'll be tempted by worldly praise. Because praise feels good. I, I, I wouldn't sit here um, and tell you that it, that it doesn't feel good to get a pat on the back. That it, that it doesn't feel good to be, to, be, uh, to be lifted up as a person of high moral character, uh, to be lifted up as a person who gives, to be lifted up as a person of service. And I think that churches fall into the same category. It, it, it feels good when people begin to list out all of the things that we are known for. Hey, that's the church that donates money to loaves and fishes. 
oh, and you all have missionaries and you all do all these great things. And as a person, as, as I walk around the denominational offices, I'm going to be honest. You know, I, yes, that's, that's us. That's, yep, that's Naperville coming to church. Amen. Yes. Praise the, praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. You know, everywhere you go, people are like, oh, Naperville coming to church. You guys do so much. Yes, yes. Yes, we do. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. We are. It, 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 it feels good. Uh, but what Jesus is warning against is to let that become the motivation and not our deep love for God and his people. Because here is what he, he, he warns against. As he is uh, uh, beginning to build up uh, the discipleship, uh, the, those who are now believing in him and starting to follow him, what he is warning against is and planning against is trying to make sure that those who call themselves disciples of Christ don't begin to take on the characteristics of the religious leaders of the day. Because it was very well known uh, that the religious leaders of that time uh, were very holy in public, uh, but it did not translate to their personal lives. It was evidenced by how they treated folks who were not uh, part of their inner group. And so what Jesus was saying is here, don't do that. Be like this. When, 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 when you give... You don't have to make a big noise about it because ultimately everything that you do, uh, if you've done it with the right motivation, if it's been done with the power of the Holy Spirit, if you do it because you've been motivated by my love, the Father who sees all and knows all will bless you. So it comes to this point then we have to ask ourselves, is God enough? Is God enough? Is, 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 is knowing that God has found us faithful enough? Is knowing that God is looking at his church and looking at his sons and daughters and saying, this is my church of whom I'm well pleased because you have my spirit and you have my heart and you care for those who are in need and you love those who are in need and I am pleased. So if we never get a hand clap, if we never get an award, if we never get recognition, it's God's case enough. And brothers, this is, I believe that that's something that we can ask ourselves, not just in our faith life, but even in our relationships. Because one of the biggest lessons that you learn is how you respond when you feel slighted, right? You, you know if your motives were good, if you do something and you don't get the result that you expect and you don't feel slighted. Well, man, I, I, I got up and I cooked the kids breakfast and I made the girls lunches and I took them to school so you could sleep in a little bit later this morning. And I'm not getting the best husband award. Well, what well, was my motivation to care for my kids and love my wife? Or was my motivation to be lifted up? What's our motivation? Because if we're motivated by the love of Jesus Christ, 
uh, that challenges us and empowers us and calls us to care for the world around us and to make disciples of the nations, then even when we don't get the acknowledgement that we think we should get, even when the results don't look like we think that they should look, even when we do the big initiatives and there's hundreds of folks in the parking lot and maybe only one person comes to church that next Sunday, God is pleased. So is God enough? I don't know if we ever ask ourselves that question because I believe we kind of get in such a mold in our day-to-day lives that we never actually think about our motivation. And what we see here is not necessarily a condemnation of saying, hey, like if you, if you, if you allow this thing to puff your head up, it's really more of a warning because Jesus understands our humanity. Jesus understands that because we are broken and because we are sinful and because we are people who have needs, that we are susceptible to the same temptations that, that, that the, the temple leaders of that time were susceptible to and had given in to. But what Jesus also understood, that it was too important for this new movement of believers, this movement that would be called the way to operate in a way that was different from what folks had seen. Uh, Because if his disciples were to begin to act in the same way the temple's leaders acted, then what was the purpose of this new movement in the first place? Jesus was literally raising the bar. Jesus was literally saying, hey, this may have been what you've seen. This may have been what you thought was okay. But I'm telling you, actually, this is how I want to see you live. And the level of sacrifice that I'm calling you to and the level of life that I'm calling you to is, 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 is more difficult than you've ever seen. And you can only do it if you are empowered and connected to me. The beauty of all of this, brothers and sisters, is that what we see uh, is that God not only calls us, but he will equip us through the power of his son, Jesus Christ. And so as he transitions then um, from talking about what it looks like um, to give alms, uh, he then begins to talk about prayer. Uh, Prayer, which was a very important aspect of the life of a Jew. Uh, It said that um, in the life of a Jew that there were three times um, in a day that a Jewish person would pray. Um, And that it was very um, common that you would stop and pray uh, wherever you were, uh, no matter where you were, that when the time for prayer came, you would stop what you were doing. And so for some folks, uh, for maybe the stay-at-home mothers at the time, when the time came, they could pray in their houses. Uh, But for those who were out in the fields or out in the streets or out in the synagogue, it was very likely uh, that when the time of prayer came that you would be in public view. And so people would see you praying, even though they should have been praying themselves. That's another conversation. And so the temptation then would be that when the, 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 the 12 o'clock hour came and you got into your position to pray, uh, that you would uh, be tempted to use big words and uh, use fancy sayings and to be loud and make big noises so that people who were in the area saw you praying and the result would be, wow, Leslie's such an awesome prayer. Like, did you, did you hear? Did you, he was using million-dollar words in his prayer. 
wow, I want to be like Leslie. Uh, but, but, but what Jesus is trying to get the disciples to understand is that what's more important than the words that you use, uh, the, the way that you say it, and like the text says, vain repetition, uh, because what the commentators were trying to get us to understand is this, that we can't use big words to manipulate God into doing what we're doing. We're doing what we want him to do. So no matter how many times we say it, no matter how loudly we say it, if it's not in God's will, it's not going to happen. So it kind of reminds me, I'm going to bring my daughter up again. It's kind of like when your kid decides they want a popsicle. It's like, Daddy, can I have a popsicle? No, Ryan. Daddy, can I have a popsicle? No, Ryan. Daddy, can I have a popsicle? No, Ryan. But I want a popsicle. No, Ryan. And you know, as parents, we get tired. And it's like, fine, go, just, just go, 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 go sit down, right? This is what uh, the, the, the gospel writer was warning against and trying to say that, hey, this vain repetition, thinking that if we keep asking and using big words and making loud noises, that we can somehow control God's will by our prayers. When the text actually tells us that the Father already knows what we need before we even ask, the Father knows what we need before we even uh, shape our mouths to pray and ask for anything. And so the gospel writer is saying, hey, you don't need to do all of that. Because if you're praying to allow yourself to spend time uh, with God and to hear what it is he has to say, then more than likely you should be listening and doing less talking than it is babbling over and over again, hoping to get God to do whatever it is that you want him to do. So, 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 so Jesus is now not only trying to make sure uh, that his disciples understood the necessity of having the right motives uh, when they gave and when they served, but that he also wants to make sure that they understood that they needed to also have the right motives when they went to the Lord in prayer. Because God knows what we need. And oftentimes the purpose of our prayer, brothers and sisters, I like to say, is not necessarily that God doesn't know what we need, but it's for us to understand what it is God is saying to us about what we're asking for. And I kind of like to break the Lord's prayer down like this. Instead of going line by line, I look at verses 9 through 13 as acknowledgement and recognition. Acknowledgement and recognition. In verse 9, it says, our Father who is in heaven, we are recognizing not only that God is our Father, but the place that he dwells, hallowed be your name, the holiness that comes with your name, uh, the recognition of um, our relationship to God, the recognition of who he is. It goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done, which is our recognition of our need for God on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, the, the way that uh, Jesus is teaching disciples to pray is to make sure that they start out by recognizing who God is and what God is to us. Because when you recognize who God is, when you, when, when you put yourself in a position where you are already submitted to the person that you're praying to, you'll be more willing to yield to the response that you get. 
And too many times we, we, we approach God as if he owes us something as opposed to recognizing that he's already given us everything. And he goes on to say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those. He says, give us this day our daily bread. I think this is one of the things that we often overlook here. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Could you imagine what type of faith it takes for us to live day by day, knowing that God is making sure that we have what we need for the day? And this, this instantly makes me think of uh, the children of Israel when they were uh, in the desert headed to the promised land, and they only got what they needed every day. There, there, there wasn't excess. And I believe that part of the reason why we struggle with even praying for our daily needs is because we live in a time where we have so much excess uh, that need, having what we need, seems like lack. We have so much stuff. And this is a personal lesson for me in this season of my life. Uh, as you know, that me and my wife, we just moved and we were downsizing. This was before we figured out we were having another kid. It's like, oh, okay, great timing. But it's like you never know how much stuff you have until, until you move. You, you, you never realize how much stuff you've accumulated until you move. Because all of a sudden you started opening closet doors that haven't been opened in years. And you start to see like, oh, why do I still have my grade school uh, uh, <laughs> uh, like summarization papers from, you know, reading the Outsiders? Because we promised that we were going to read it to our kids when they got older and we haven't seen it and it's yellow and it's crumpling up and we have shoes that we can't wear anymore. We got suits that we can't fit anymore and you try to put them on. Oh, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to lose 40 pounds. I'm going to get back in this suit near you. <laughs> and it just hangs up on the closet and then maybe it's, okay, well, it's out of style now. But if I hold on to it for 10 more years, it'll be back in style again. Right. We 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 have so much excess. I remember there was a stat that talked about how much food Americans throw away because we go grocery shopping and we fill our refrigerators with stuff and then we don't even eat half stuff that we buy, right? And so garbage day, we're like, oh, well, this is spoiled and this is done and oh, this expired a year ago. Okay, we, we, so we, we live such lives of excess. When I believe that what Jesus is trying to say is to, 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 to that we know that God will give us what we need and that we will pray for what we need and that we can live day by day on the promises of God that tells us that he will meet our needs every day. Now, one of the areas of growth that we have, and so Jesus is encouraging the disciples to not only check their hearts, but to check their motives, but to be reminded that we need God. And it's only through God that we are able to even have the ability to forgive the debts or forgive the sins of other folks. This text then, this prayer, brothers and sisters, reminds me uh, that prayer can be simple. Recognize and acknowledge God for who he is. And recognize that he is the one who will meet our needs day after day after day. I think that one of the reasons why, as a denomination, then we are in this time of prayer 
that we are calling our churches to prayer is that we need God now more than ever. Maybe, maybe we've gotten hung up on um, our initiatives and our plans and all those different things. And maybe you know, the church is calling us to a time that says, hey, let's put all that stuff to the side and let's just pray and see what God is saying to the church. Because I believe now more than ever, what the world needs to see is a church that is so focused on Jesus Christ, that is so inundated with the love of Jesus Christ, and showing their love not only to each other, but to the world around us. Uh, we need that now more than ever. In a time where people are questioning the validity of God, the validity of the Bible, the validity of church, when church leaders are fighting on Twitter and Instagram and on TV, uh, when folks who uh, like to call themselves Christians but their lives don't match their words, I believe that the church is under attack. And the last thing that the world needs to see is another church at odds with each other. Uh, but like the text says... One of the things that we need now is the ability to forgive, to forgive each other, forgive each other for the conversations that should have been had that we didn't have, forgive each other for the times where we felt silenced, uh, forgive each other for the times where we didn't agree, forgive each other when times where decisions were made that we didn't feel like we had a voice. And there's a lot of forgiveness that needs to happen that we only have the ability to do through the power of God. But I believe the result is not only in our hearts and in our personal lives, uh, not only in our local churches, um, in our regional churches, but in the church universal, uh, that if we, like this text says, remind ourselves that if our hearts are centered on Jesus and Jesus Christ is our motivation and that what we desire more than anything else is to bring honor to Jesus, then God can do a mighty work in our lives in our church, through our church, and in our world. Because the church isn't obsolete. The church isn't useless. We don't need to uh, uh, redefine church. I believe what we need to do is really just get back to what the Bible says that church should be and should have always been. We don't need to do away what we, what we need to do is to, to spend time in this and say, how does this match up to this? How, how does this match up to what we're doing? How does this match up to the life that I'm leaving? Because this becomes the barometer. Not my opinions. Not the latest statistics. Not what the world says we should be, but what God says his church should be. So as we continue... Um, in this series on prayers, we continue to join our denomination and our brothers and sisters. Let us be uh, in our lives here together, in our lives at home, lifting up all of these things so that we can see a church uh, that replicates the love of Christ. That through its life and through its actions, through its almsgiving and through its prayer, draws people in to life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, if people are not uh, having encounters with Jesus and having their hearts changed and having their lives changed, then what are we really doing? The song says Jesus must be at the center of it all. Let's pray.